I love this song because this is like a side to side kind of headbang thing. Good evening, everyone. I'm your host, Jason Miles, and welcome to another episode of This is Revolution Podcast. Thank you all for joining us this evening. Before we start, if you're new to the channel, please hit subscribe, and don't forget to hit the notification bell so you are alerted whenever we go live. We're constantly adding cross streams with other channels and adding new shows. Speaking of new shows, there's a new show I'm doing called Pop Life. And by the time you see this, I will have recorded the third episode of Pop Life. It's a show where I talk more about pop culture stuff. For the first episode, I sat down with singer of influential hardcore metalcore band 18 Visions, James Hart. For the second episode, I spoke with animator uh, and former CNN employee Billy Bunton about how the news has become entertainment. And for the most recent episode, I sat down with friend of show, friend in real life, uh, Toy Galaxy's Dan Larson, and we discussed some of the pitfalls of nostalgia. That one should go live next week. This Wednesday, tomorrow, we're doing another Mau Mau Hour with the Pascal Robert. Usually we do that show at the end of the month, but due to tropical storms and hurricanes, we had to postpone it. Now, if you want to participate on that show uh, and have your comments read on air or even call in, I believe we're going to do a call in for that tomorrow. You must become a patron. Patreon also allows you access to our post show after hours hang where we have more ridiculous uncensored fun, usually watching some weird movies that usually get the main show demonetized. Um, depending on your level of patrons, you get exclusive TIR merch. At any level, you get to join us for movie night, which we just recently had where we watched David Cross's uh, directorial debut with the movie Hits had a very interesting discussion on that. Uh, also, it looks like, again, most of our videos are not being allowed to have ads or limited ads due to the content. Um, so I guess there's a tip bucket on uh, YouTube. Uh, if you guys have the means and feel so inclined, if you like what you're hearing, drop a buck or two in the old tip jar. It goes a long way to keep the show going. Also, tickets are still available for the live show in L.A. Give them a revolution. Me, Deep State Cuba, Ben Burgess, Matt Leck, David Griscom from Left Reckoning, and so many other people. There's more names that are being added to the list. I'm even finding out about more people that are coming on the show. So I'm really excited about it. Derek Varn's going to be there, a.k.a. the Black Sean King. He's going to be there. <laughs> and you guys are allowed to make fun of him for that. I'm trying to convince him to cut his hair short so he can look more like Sean King. So when we go to places like, you know, the Rainbow and shit like that in L.A., people can confuse him. That would be great. Uh, all that being said, Pascal and MT have the night off. So it's just you and me, guys. It's just us. So. I hope I don't let you guys down too much. But that being said, I'm excited about our show tonight. Um, we're going to be speaking with actor and filmmaker John Valley. I recently came across one of John's films while scrolling through Amazon Prime looking for horrible films to watch. That is true. In my quest to try to find 
What else could I watch besides Death Wish 4 again? Or Tenenbrae. Tenenbrae? Tenenbrae. Basically an Italian giallo movie. Looking for all this, I came across this movie called The Pizzagate Massacre. The title alone had me intrigued. It was either going to be silly, funny, or dud. Uh, It was silly at moments, but mainly a smart, well-done satire of not just media characters like Alex Jones and QAnon militia radicals, but a bit more. From the film description on Rotten Tomatoes, it's a dark satire inspired by the real-life conspiracy theory known as Pizzagate. An amateur journalist and a far-right militia man team up to expose the ugly truth behind rumors involving sex cults, a pizza place, and lizard people. My guest this evening, John Valley, is an actor and filmmaker based out of Austin, Texas. You may know him from such shows as Kevin Saves the World and the next, sorry, Netflix film, We Can Be Heroes. Please welcome, coming all the way live from a bunker somewhere in Austin, Texas, John Valley. Good evening. (laughs) Thank you for that uh, raucous applause. What's going on, Mr. Valley? Not too much, man. I'm just, uh, you know, taking it day by day, uh, trying to keep a uh, healthy media diet and uh, <laughs> follow along with the with, with the shit show that uh, I, I feel. I feel, like, movie. I feel like I should call you uh, Codename Scythorn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, your your movie is. I, I I laughed out loud a few times when right. I felt like I shouldn't have laughed out loud, but the story I thought was great, and I had to follow along with the story, and I think the trailer doesn't even do the movie justice. Um, I did watch the trailer first before I watched it, because I was like, is this... Amazon, for those that don't know, there's a lot of right-wing <laughs> propaganda on Amazon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can watch those Uncle Tom movies, which are horrible. Um, there's definitely some really bad documentaries on Amazon. But um, yeah, I know the guy who made that documentary, Uncle Tom. Have you ever seen that? It's like a new documentary. Uh, I sent the trailer to the sequel to some friends of show. I sent it to Toure Reed. I sent it to, of course, my co-host, Pascal. I sent it to <laughs> Cedric Johnson. Um I dared not send it to Adolph Reed because I didn't want him physically coming to my house yelling at me. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I sent it to pretty much everyone that works on the show. And my my response, I sent it to uh, Bertram Cooper, who I talked about recently on the show, his recent uh, New York Times piece. And my first response from everybody was, is this real? Yeah, it is. Uh, JB says there's a doc named Uncle Tom. What? Uh, there is a documentary uh, called Uncle Tom, and I believe it's um, Larry Elder is behind it. Um, oh, yeah. One of the producers and another, not Jesse Lee Peterson, but another one of those black dudes that the far right loves is is behind it. But it's, um, okay. we hadn't met one of the guys in it. Um, me and Ben Burgess and in uh, uh, Deep State Cuba when we were in New York. Yeah, um, uh, we met one of the guys in it. Oh, I can't. Coleman Hughes. 
Yeah, how do I know Coleman Hughes? Uh, he's a personality, right? Like a he's a he's a, one of the black right wingers that says things like um. Is he like is he kind of like Steve Urkel and sort of like like bookish? Kind of nerdy? <laughs> you know who that guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's in a, he, there's a he's got an Urkel s tendency. I could see where you would come. Yeah, right. Isn't he's he, a little he's guy? Kind of, he's a, he's yeah, a little guy. Like serious and bookish and. Yeah, yeah. Here, but here's the irony. I've met Jaleel White in real life. Yeah. Uh, work. I worked on a kids' TV show called Yo Gabba Gabba, and uh, one of the oh, yeah. one of the the shows we did, uh, he was there with a bunch of other uh, Black Hollywood people, mm-hmm. and uh, and he stopped me to ask me a question, and he's like a real cool dude, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's like, "Hey, how you doing, brother?" Jalil, and he looked me right in the eye and shook my hand real hard. So, I, like, I'm letting you know my real name. Don't you dare fucking call me Urkel. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare let it parse your lips. Uh, but he actually went to school with a friend of mine at uh, UCLA. So, oh, cool. Uh, we actually ended up knowing a lot of the same people. So, he ended up being a real good dude. So, the real Urkel, good. nice guy, uh, right wing Urkel, not so much. Coleman Hughes, yeah. right wing Urkel. There you go. That's going to be his new name. Maybe I should coin that as fast as I can on, on social media. <laughs> Nobody else has called on that. I, mean, that just, I thought that was obvious. I haven't, I haven't heard. Uh, Parallel right universe where Steve Urkel is a bad guy. I, I uh, yeah, Well, because the way we met him, uh, our buddy Ben Burgess got uh, kind of um, an attempted setup by, what's the guy's name? James O'Keefe. Is mm-hmm. that his name? James O'Keefe from Project Veritas tried to set up our buddy. And uh, it was just, it was so bad that uh, Coleman Hughes was offended by it and wanted to come up and like, not necessarily apologize, but uh, say that he wasn't cool with it publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, like, hey, I know I, he actually said, I don't agree with a lot of the things you say, but that wasn't cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So maybe he's kind of earnestly trying to uh, coexist. Look, man, I don't know how easy it is for him to exist in the hood on that. <laughs> if a hood pass was real, then uh, getting that shit revoked is probably pretty frightening. It boggles my mind. I, yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to understand that or, or like, speak from a point of a. Uh, uh, reference by any means, you know. I grew up in middle of Iowa, so I, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So you're not even from Texas. You're from Iowa. Did you grow up near Davenport? No, but I mean, I've been to Davenport. But uh, yeah, I, I grew up like right in the middle of Iowa, uh, like little farm town, and then went to school there for a couple years, and then moved down to Texas in 2009. What prompted you to leave Iowa, the beautiful state of Iowa? Well, yeah, it's a beautiful state. I, I I do like it. I don't regret growing up there by any means. But you know, there's just no there's no film industry there, and there was for a second, and then some guys took advantage of it, uh, and kind of fucked it up for a lot of people. But um, some like tax incentive thing that they manipulated, mm-hmm. and 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 they're in jail now. So oh. Yeah, it got serious. And some of my friends had to like testify against them and stuff because oh. they were part of this. There was some kind of scam to 
you know, like built money out of the state of Iowa. Like they had like a film fund that they set up because it was uh, Governor Culver at the time. It was like mm -hmm. the rare time that, uh, you know, we didn't have a, a Branstad governor there. And he was a big film fanatic and wanted to bring film to Iowa. And that was when Texas was experiencing a pretty big boom. And there were other states that were like, you know, New Mexico, starting, yeah, Louisiana, yeah, yeah. And so Iowa wanted in on that. And it would have been like totally a great thing to invest in. There's tons of filmmakers there, really good artists, really good writers. Um, but yeah, these guys kind of took it for a ride and nobody knew any better. And it just drained the entire thing and it looked really bad and then Culver didn't win his his reelection and so it, it never got re-upped and now Iowa is uh not at all concerned with the arts I don't think uh <laughs> it, it's it's turned awfully red was um, was was Slipknot the, the film people were they trying to make a, a documentary is that what happened I think so maybe it was Slipknot you know <laughs> probably just, it off Anything, anytime something bad happens in Iowa, just, we're just going to blame stuff now. <laughs> they did it. Those, those boys from Des Moines did it. That's who did it. They're bad boys. But uh, uh, no, yeah, it's, it's uh, moved down there or moved down here. Uh, at the time, I, I dropped out of school and had gotten really obsessed with Terrence Malick and found out that he lived down here. And then I moved here sort of on this pilgrimage to kind of uh, get get into the orbit of Terrence Malick and then, you know, found out that Austin is a really cool place. Um, it's not perfect, but it's cool enough for now. Um, someone on your left says Slipknot is the Florida man of Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> Uh, Sean Moon says Tom Arnold's sister uh, was an Iowa meth kingpin. Why do okay. you people know so much about Iowa? Iowa's uh, it, it's got it's got legends. It's not dissimilar to Texas in terms of the weird like there's like a hospitality and a warmth, but then there's just something immediately under the surface. It's very like man, something's wrong here. Something's like you know something in the water. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I was not without its its characters. I went to the Tom Arnold acting camp when I was uh, uh, 17. He has an acting school and I got to meet him and talk with him and got his acting advice. <laughs> I mean, he was great in Austin Powers 3. He said, what else know, was Tom Arnold in movie wise? True Lies. That's like one of his oh, coolest uh, things. He's like the buddy to Schwarzenegger in True Lies. Uh, Roseanne, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, he's in all sorts of stuff. You know, I have, I have a as a as a director, I can kind of like see his talent for sure. He's he's got quite a bit of a something special going on, but he does. You know, he's also got a lot of other things going on. I tried to get him to see this movie because he's pretty like. Cool uh, about independent film. Yeah, yeah, and he's like politically active, and he's kind of made it a bit of a mission of his, you know, over the Trump years to kind of use his platform to just kind of go after him. You know, he had a show, I think, for a while on Vice that was all about, it was like somewhat satirical, but also done seriously to like pull out conversation. But he had this show where it was all about him trying to find the P tapes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. 
<laughs> and they know they know they're like not gonna find them, but they are like trying to earnestly look for them. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Tom yeah. Arnold was in Soul. Jesus Christ! So between Iowa trivia and Tom Arnold trivia, I'm I'm going to start asking the questions that I wrote uh, because I don't want this to devolve. <laughs> We could talk about Tom Arnold. I mean, that would be a big episode for you. <laughs> to Iowa. I believe uh, in Tom my, Arnold. My last time in Iowa, I played a show in Des Moines. I can't remember the name of the venue. I don't even know if it's open anymore. And um, there's a band from there. They don't, I don't think any of them live there anymore uh, called, oh, God. I would, I'd probably know it if you said it. I would know it was a you. hardcore band. It was a hardcore band, and they were called Modern Life is War. Eh, yeah, I haven't heard of that. And this, and they were pretty, they're relatively big. They were on, I think, Rise Records or one of those cool. like hardcore labels. And cool. the singer came to the show and he goes, "I saw you guys were going to be here," and I thought to myself, "No shit." And I, <laughs> and he was the only person there. <laughs> so that was like my my. That was the last time we had played in Iowa, and I was like, hmm, I don't think we need to come back. Yeah, it's a weird state to play. A lot of people do play through there, like Des Moines and Iowa City, and I'm sure Cedar Rapids. Uh, there's some cool places in Cedar Falls, too. Uh, but, yeah, Iowa City was always really cool. That's where I went to school, and it was like a cool place for music. Bands seemed to have a good time when they'd go through there. We would play Iowa State, and then yep. uh, we just we finally got into this one place we wanted to get into in Des Moines, and then, you know... It, yeah. you know, like on a Tuesday or something like that. It was some off day sure. where, where nothing worked right. right? But enough about that. <laughs> Let's talk about your Texas movie. Um, yeah. Thank you again for, for taking time to talk with me today. Uh, or My pleasure, day. man. I appreciate you seeing it. Uh, well, I watched it again today. I gave it another viewing uh, this afternoon to get ready. And there was a lot more I noticed the second time around. First thing is this movie looks great. Cool. The look yeah, of it Taylor, is great. Taylor Cameron. Uh, tell me about the budget you were working with. Was this a Robert Townsend situation where you had to uh, rob Peter to pay Paul to make sure it worked, or did you actually have proper investors? Because the movie yeah. actually looks and sounds great. I, I mean, that has so much to do with the people behind the tools that were working on it. I mean, they just really believed in the project. And at the time that we were doing it, uh, the cinematographer and I are very like close partners. He's, he's uh, one of the producers on the film and he shoots all these music videos that I produce here in town and, and make. Um, but over the years, we had just cultivated quite a crew and quite a, a group of people that we knew were about to blow up and that, uh, you know, were going to graduate beyond what we could offer them. And so that was sort of, uh, what motivated a lot of the expediency behind making the movie because I mean I wrote it in May of 2018 like first draft and then we were shooting it four months later uh, because I knew that we just had to get it shot because of the subject material I I, uh, I knew was going to become relevant very soon and then uh, the crew I just knew that we, we had access to this crew that was just going to grow beyond our means and they really showed up and you know none of them were paid what they were worth but I think they knew how serious myself and Taylor were going to take it and so when the crew has that confidence in uh 
you, you know, they really do show up and you can get a lot of great stuff done. So I, I credit all of the success of the movie sound wise and picture wise to the crew and to Taylor Camero and to, uh, uh, Richard Hamilton and Ben Wong who did the sound. Um, it, it truly is a remarkable piece of work that they, they did, but the budget was very little. Um, I couldn't get anybody to invest in it for the life of me. Really? Uh, nobody, yeah. Nobody was interested. And uh, it literally, like I was having these uh, talks with producers here in town that were looking me in the eye and saying things like, I don't know who John Valley is. You know, why would I work with you? And you know, you just want to look back at them and say, well, who the hell are you? you know, you're the one taking the meeting with a nobody. So what does that say about you? And yeah, it, it was, it's silly. Austin's film scene has a, uh, a really odd tendency to try to pretend like it's Hollywood. I think they want so desperately to be Hollywood. Um, and, that's how I feel about their music scene, by the way. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we could, <laughs> we could do a whole episode on that. I mean, like, I, I've I'm, been involved. Yeah, I'm never going to play Austin now, but you know, fuck it. That was the last show that, uh, that I played on the last tour I was on. It was it actually was, it ended up being a good show, but I mean, Look, John, you could have got told to fuck off in L.A. in way better weather by hotter people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think, I, think, that's, I think that's true. I think I, would have, I think I would have been told to fuck off. And <laughs> That's how I, I feel sometimes in, in certain cities. Nashville's the same way. Yes. Like, I yeah. totally could have gotten told to fuck off without the humidity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was... It, it was a very valuable lesson as a filmmaker and as like, a, a, you know, basically a small business owner where it's like you, you learn very quickly that it's not a meritocracy. And I thought that my investment in the film community and my investment in the art, uh, the music community, 10 year for the 10 years prior to me shooting this movie, I thought that that would have meant something to, you know, the, couple few dozen bands that I did free music videos for and Jeez. all the work that I would do with these people. And, you know, it's like, that was a thing that I used to brag about is that, Oh, I've done X amount of music videos. I'm so experienced. But then when it came to like asking these people for help, I think I could like count on one hand, how many of these musicians actually like oh. threw in 25 bucks, oh, you know, brother. So That's it was so a pretty sobering lesson that it's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's about, uh, it's about how you game the system and how you kind of manipulate it and, and force the thing through and make it happen. Because of course, a handful of these individuals who told me, no, this movie can't be made, or this is a bad idea, or it's not a good movie. Of course, a lot of those people changed their tune once the movie kind of got finished and sort of uh, accepted. But um, no, we funded it by, uh, I was in a pretty gnarly car accident uh about seven years ago and uh it there was a whole trial around it and a whole like case that took years and uh i took that money that i got from this car accident and then invested it into getting the movie shot and then levered like turning it into a loan situation um just to get the movie into the can and and, and made uh and then i went back and tried to do another round of uh, fine, uh, you know, crowdfunding yeah. or, or, uh, uh, fundraising. Mm -hmm. And I found one producer who was good friends with the lead actor, uh, who got behind us and, and paid for post-production and kind of got the movie finished to where it was seen. 
And then when we got the distribution deal, uh, it lined up with uh, this current job that I have right now where I'm, I'm getting to direct commercials. And so then I was able to pay for distribution just straight out of the pocket again. So I am the principal producer and wow. financier of this movie. Well, and, and you're, and I have to admit, it doesn't feel like a film where someone got a job because they, um, they knew someone or had some sort of ability to get fun. Like uh, we have to give this guy a role because, uh, and he has to be a speaking role because, yeah, <laughs> he's uncles with the dude that's going to give us the dough. Right. The, I felt the casting was great, even down to the older gentleman that played the leader of the militia. Oh, There's yeah. a scene at the end where when you pull out your fake phallus. Fake? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? It's not fake. <laughs> That that was the that was the moment um in this in this movie where you remind us that it is satire, right? Yes. Because big, that, big joke. Yeah. at that moment the movie's getting very serious. I'm extremely invested in the characters at this moment and the development of the characters. And the, and for those that haven't seen the film, and I and I please, please everyone, watch the film. Uh let me know what you guys think about the film. If you're watching this or hearing this later, leave your comments in the comments. Leave comments in the comments uh, after you've watched the film and how you feel about the film because I really dug it. Um, the film basically is about an Alex Jones type character, and you casted a woman for that, and you call it what is her name? Tara Lee. Terry Tara, Lee. Yeah. Terry Lee. Um, was this a purpose? So there's two questions I want to ask you about casting. Number one, is Alex Jones that big of a presence in Austin that kind of was the impetus for you to make this movie? Or I, I, I understand you're on the left politically. Is this just something you're aware of? You're like, no, I'm going to make a movie about this insanity. Or is both. it kind of a combination of both? Okay. Both. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. Alex Jones is very well known here in town and he's, he, you know, we see him around all the time. Uh, there were people that worked on the movie that were working for Alex Jones um, because like he does employ a lot of people who work in, uh, you know, audio, video, tech kind of stuff. So, you know, we know these people. It's a small town. Mm -hmm. um, but no, the, the main inspiration was just more the insanity of the story itself. You know, I always kind of talk about how I remember watching Colbert the week that Pizzagate happened and being just so struck by how easily he was able to work it in the shooting into his monologue and everybody's laughing and then they just move along. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is so weird that America does this where it's just, it's so obvious to me. And I'm not like some learned, uh, you know, uh, political guru genius or anything but it's like when i saw pizzagate happen and and knowing that the whole trump phenomenon was not a fluke and that it's very serious and it runs deep in this country uh when when pizzagate happened i was like this is a big deal and this is going to get a lot worse and it's it i it's so painful to watch us all just kind of be like oh well you know that was a funny event because nobody died in the real pizzagate yeah. 
right? Yeah. And so you can laugh at it. It's not a joke or it's a joke. But if there had been 10 bodies stacked up at the end of that event, it would have been 100% different. And that was the intent. I mean, that guy went in there with the intent to kill people. Yes. Uh, fortunately, he caught himself in the act and, and kind of I, like when you when you read into what that how that event played out and how he turned himself in and how he rep- represented himself in uh, court, he did have an awakening. He was like, what the hell am I doing? And he, and he kind of like woke up to it and fortunately stopped himself. But, you know, I, I was so upset by it that it's like, why do we have to wait for a classroom full of students to be slaughtered or uh, in this case, a pizzeria to be shot up for us to kind of take something seriously? And little did I know I was basically having some kind of premonition about what would become QAnon and, and then uh, January 6th. And not that January 6th was uh, similar to Pizzagate uh, holistically, but... I think there's similarities. Oh, yes. I yes. Think there's, there, there there's a through line. There's, there's definitely a through line. line. No, QAnon is basically, uh, <clears throat> you know, Pizzagate on steroids. And to that point, that's when the movie started getting taken seriously. That's when we started getting the distribution offers because the movie had been done for over a year and I was sending it to festivals and it was getting rejections everywhere to all the way from people thinking that we were pro right wing and pro uh, cons- uh, conspiratorial violence, and political <laughs> Interesting. violence. Okay. And then to the other side of the spectrum where people are like, what the hell is this? We don't know what you're talking about. And so it was just completely wholesale rejected. Uh, but January 6th happens and then all of a sudden it starts getting all this attention. And I think it's because unfortunately it's what the movie basically is about where I, I took Pizzagate and I said, well, what if this would have went the way the shooter wanted it to go? What if this would have ended in bloodshed? What if, what if it would have turned into a shootout? Mm-hmm. And then the movie sort of explores that, that possible reality. And, and, and I think you do this thing that I find, I found fascinating because I thought the movie, I, I recently, whenever I contacted you, yeah, I had just watched your movie, like maybe mm-hmm. a day or two before. Um, like I watched it and I was like, "Who made this?" I was like, "Oh, the Scythorn guy made this." <laughs> right? uh-huh. and, I, and I was able to, to contact. It was like I was having the best day, right? And uh, uh, the the Alex Jones characters. Um, that you have in the movie, there's a scene where they they're having their monologue and they're acting as if these things that happen in their name aren't their fault. And I watched there's a there's a young man that has a show on YouTube called like Channel Five News. It's a joke show, and he actually did interview Alex Jones recently. And yeah. almost beat for beat, almost word for word. Alex Jones is saying what your character is saying um, very flippantly. He's very sarcastic about the whole thing. Yep. Oh, you people want to blame me for fine. It's all my fault. Da, 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 da. Um, and and uh, sadly, the, the kid's interview wasn't even that long with Alex Jones. For Alex Jones just, just took off and left. It was like 20 um, minutes, right? Yeah, it was like 20 minutes. Um, and I, I was like, man, this is this guy is just nailing 
this character. And I know a lot of people in the space that I'm in right now kind of are super dismissive of Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. And maybe one of the, I don't want to say worst or best things that happened to him was getting kicked off of, of Twitter. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he's still a force on the internet and in media Mm-hmm. You know, just because we don't see him every day on Twitter uh, trending or YouTube, you know, doesn't mean he's not a thing. Just to let you guys know, uh, right before we went on air, uh, one of the reasons it took so long to air, partially me, I will take that L, was the fact that Facebook wouldn't let the wouldn't let the video go up because we titled the video "The PizzaGate Massacre." And I'm I'm like, what the hell's going on? And John goes, Oh, do you have Pizzagate in the title? <laughs> Can you tell the story real quick about what happened with you with the Pizzagate title? Just real quick. Yeah. So, you know, like uh it's a very scrappy independent movie and we needed everything we could any help we could get. So I really weaponized social media and I uh spent a lot of time curating all the different platforms. And because of everything that was going on with QAnon, because of the political violence that was on the rise, uh, Pizzagate became a like no-go zone. And so we had Pizzagate in the name of our uh, Facebook, Facebook page. page yeah. <laughs> and we got uh, you know banned. We got taken down because they thought we were pro-QAnon, uh, pro-Pizzagate. And it took almost a year of like really aggressive sort of... Uh, you know, appealing to tell them like, this is just, this is a movie. Mm -hmm. It's a satire. It's actually like way not pro, right. It's uh, hopefully pro humanity, if I can be so cliche. (laughs) Uh, But you know, it's, it's definitely not what you think it is. And uh, eventually they allowed us to come back on, but with the caveat that we had to change the name and then also uh, accept the fact that we can't be like, Anytime that you try to search us, if you don't already follow us, if you try to search us, it'll like there's a wall that happens where you have to agree to be like, hey, this is some pretty sensitive political material. And you have to kind of like click some extra buttons. And then our material on Facebook won't be really shown to a lot of people outside of our followers, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, That suppresses the people that can actually hear about this movie. Yeah, yeah. And it and, and like the people that need to hear about it and the people that uh are the problem itself. It's like, no, I like I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's like you want to tell Facebook, I'm on your side, you know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to say that like this is bad and we yeah. should all be a little bit more humble um about our susceptibility of being manipulated by media and being seduced by charlatans and grifters. And uh, because the movie ultimately does take a very empathetic position towards uh, Trump supporters, towards conspiracy theorists, towards uh, uh, perceived right wingers and like Christo fascists and such, because it, it does sort of speak to the, the economic situation and education uh deficit uh and sort of like lack of uh, of resources that so many of these people have that that end up falling prey to uh these interests and the movie sort of does um 
put quite a bit of blame on the media and this Alex Jones figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, just to swing it back to the movie. I mean, I'm so, I always love when people are moved by that performance because she really was such a gift to the movie. Uh, Lee Eddy. Uh, she's just a incredible performer. I she's one of my favorite actors. Where you found that woman. Yeah, she's awesome. She walks in the door. She probably has, what, three scenes in the film? Yeah. Three scenes in the film, and they're all pivotal scenes. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long it took to take them, um, but she nails the Alex Jones character um, with a biting precision that makes you angry, right? Which is what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And the young lady that plays uh, Karen Black. So I look, we said this off air. I do love the Karen Black name <laughs> as a nod to um, the actress Karen Black from maybe one of the proto slasher films, Black Christmas. Yep. If you guys haven't seen the original Black Christmas, please watch the original. Do not watch the 2006 9 remake, just watch the original. Yeah, and um, it's one of my. It's like a Mount Rushmore for me. It's like I think it's one of the best American horror films ever made. And it's not even American. I mean, it's, it's a, North it's American. American North American, right? North we'll, American. Yeah, we'll throw yeah. it in there. It's North American. Yeah. Um, our Canadian director. Yeah. So I do have to ask this: Was it a conscious decision? You you said it was a conscious decision to have a female as the Alex Jones character. Was it a conscious decision to have a black female as the uh, investigative journalist? Uh, not actually not the intention for the Alex Jones character. Uh, Oh yeah. Um, I was looking for an Alex Jones impersonator. Okay. And, uh, and that is exactly what I got. And I got some really, really good performances, um, from some of my friends who submitted, uh, audition tapes and just excellent, uh, impressions. And I would watch them and, and just be like, what, something's not working here. Something's not right. And I didn't really know why I, I, I couldn't connect with it. I was like, they're all doing a great job. I don't know why this isn't really moving me or working. And uh, we were about three weeks out from shooting. And Lee Eddy was already cast in the film. She was cast as the, uh, I won't give it away, uh, but you'll know, you'll know this is, a, she was cast in a fairly interesting role to begin with. She was the, there's a news, a news reporter that is sort of narrating the movie, and, and, and the movie is kind of narrated and seen through the uh, the lens of an interview that's happening after yeah. the fact. Mm-hmm. So we kind of are like recounting this story, oh, and so okay. the movie starts off with this uh, <laughs> this news reporter, kind of like almost a um, young Anderson Cooper type of character that walks out and presents the film to you almost it feels like twilight zone sort of mm-hmm, inspired mm-hmm. but it's just the beginning of this guy's program you know he's probably the uh, the eight o'clock or nine o'clock spot on msnbc right yeah and uh so he's interviewing a, you know and and sort of recounting the story of what happened with this massacre this shooting and so she was originally cast as that character and uh I respect her so much. She's one of my favorite actresses, like full stop in the world. You know, I would like cast her in anything. I I, I really do uh, think she's quite special. Um, 
but I gave her this smaller role thinking like, well, this will be easy. This is an easier ask because she's kind of, uh, you know, felt like she was out of my league a little bit because she does do pretty uh, important work. She's all over. Once you, once you see her face in the yeah. movie, you're going to see her all over movies now. She's, yeah. she's quite a career. Um, and I was reaching out to her because she's very well connected and she's been in the acting scene here in Austin forever. And I reached out to her and I said, I can't find anybody to play this Alex Jones character for the life of me. If you know of anybody, please let me know. I'm getting desperate. I'm even willing to consider a woman playing it. Mm -hmm. And that's when she was like, okay, well, I've been wanting to like say this to you that like, uh, I would like to audition for the role. I think mm -hmm. I really like the character. I think I've got a, a take on it that you'll like. Uh, can I audition for it? And I was like, oh my God, absolutely. Because it was a few more days on set and you know, the, the more I could get Lee in the movie, the better. And so I was like, please. And she sends me an audition that is what you see in the movie. It was like that powerful. And so at that point, it's a no brainer. And I immediately jump back in the script and realize that, okay, these lines don't make sense anymore coming out of this character, this iteration of the character. It's now Lee's character. It's not what I wrote on paper. And so I rewrote it to fit her voice really, really? quickly. Yeah, yeah, it was a pretty like top top to bottom rewrite of of the character, um, and I think it was sort of one of the final master strokes of the movie. If, it, if I could be conscious of that, you, you know that why? Movie. You know why? For me, it is it is important that she plays that role. Yeah, a she's got the size for it because she's taller than her PAs. Yes, she's a baby. So giraffe. there's there's a, there's a there's a physical intimidation when her character enters the scene. First and foremost, and and number two, she plays the role so seriously, it takes it out of satire for a moment. Oh yeah, and I think that's important for this movie to work. Is yes. I think her, and please please pass this along. <laughs> her performance makes the movie, and it's it's a, it's a satire. It is a comedy. You will laugh out loud in the movie. Um, but when she comes in as the Alex Jones character and the way her scenes are shot, it really puts you into that place when you're watching the Alex Jones characters. Um, it kind of reminds me of Alex Jones when he was first really coming up during uh, 9-11. Yep. yep. You know? and, uh, and I was just like, whoa. <laughs> and then And then you go for the ride after that. Because I think that also allows you um, to accept the the uh, oh, what is the I just forgot the man's name the 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 main the main character that was Duncan Duncan yeah Duncan it allows you to really accept uh, Duncan's character as this um, cute lovable militia man. <laughs> 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 True, he is lovable, and and that, and that's the whole point, right? It's like you're supposed to be. I wanted it to almost have a reverse taxi driver feel. Ooh, where like, that's a you're good, watching yeah. it, thinking like this is the bad guy. I mm -hmm. know that you know because you 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 can't not watch this movie without addressing your own politics, and so you you come into the movie thinking like I know this Duncan guy. This guy's a fucking asshole, and like he's not my people. He's other, and then like in the reverse taxi driver way, it's like you halfway through the movie, even though things start getting pretty bad and pretty like questionable, 
you you really do start to empathize with this man. And that's kind of the whole point. I just, you know, like when it really comes down to it is I just wanted to remind people that it's like, hey, I know this kind of hurts to say, but like uh, these right wingers and these Trumpers are people and they, they are sometimes their family members and, and sometimes their friends. And so, yeah, I think like even though things get really dicey and his actions become really, really deplorable, uh, to, to use a buzzword around this, you know, <laughs> topic, uh, you, you do feel for him, I think. And you kind of empathize with just the, you know, what is out of his control or what is in control and how he misinterprets it, you know? I've toured as a musician for years mm-hmm. and being in a small unknown band, I spent too many, too much time in the middle of the country. Yeah. Um, and playing in these places that I played in, I came across so many Duncans in my life. Um, so I think for some people, and you bring up a really good point about the fact that people are going to bring their politics into the movie. And, and I will advise for anyone watching that watches our show when you're watching this movie, um, and th- and it's not to go hug MAGA. It's <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think you're yeah. supposed to go hug MAGA. So please don't think that's supposed to be the, the message in this. But in meeting the Duncan adjacent people that I have met in my life, um, one thing I real will say is there's a scene when you, we we get introduced to Duncan, and it's mm-hmm. and it's kind of a take on what ended up happening in Kenosha. Mm-hmm. where those people got shot. There's no shooting, but uh, the, the someone comes up to this character who's got a gun, and basically Alex Jones' character is walking to her car, and there's protesters outside. Um, someone says, Jason, tell the story about the guy who slept in the basement. It wasn't in Maine, and it was in uh, Washington. And then if you remind me at the end of the show, I will tell that story. It is coming. Uh, but, <laughs> but, um, the, as the Alex Jones character is going to car, there's all these protesters. And so the Duncan character wants to protect her. And so he pulls out his gun after he is attacked by a protester with a sign, uh, where he's like, uh, they're like, Hey, and, and the protesters is like, why do you have a gun? We just have signs. Yes. <laughs> what he's saying. He says, hey man. That's so cardboard. cardboard. You hit me with. That's not paper. It's, not paper. it's cardboard. <laughs> you could hurt somebody with that. <laughs> and and that's how you know, like, oh, we're in for a ride. But what's yeah. funny is he sees the black woman, and when he, you know, well, kind of. But when he sees the black woman again, when she's when she enters into the militia meeting, which is being advertised in public on the church sign if you guys aren't familiar with everywhere but major metropolitan areas there are these you know churches are on the side of the highway and there's always a sign and on the sign of the the church it says militia (laughs) (laughs) and so this black woman walks into the militia meeting pretty calmly yeah. And what, I, what another thing that I found funny about the black woman walking into the militia meeting is that no one says anything racist to her. Right. Because I think that's probably what would have happened if you walk into the militia meeting at church. Because there's not really an audience there to perform in front of. Right. 
Right. Are you talking about like how the militia wouldn't have been aggressive to her? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I believe that, you know, and yeah. that, and that's like that's a thing that the movie plays with, right? Is like ultimately I conclude that so much of this belief structure is rooted in like American racism. And, you know, that's kind of why, you know, there's a point in the movie where I sort of tie in those aspects to like, we're talking about the conspiracy theory, but then it it starts to kind of go back through the history of like America's relationship with racism. And like, I, you know, hopefully I think I, I can kind of tie it together to, to present an argument that I think so much of it is based on uh, racism Mm -hmm. and, and, and race grievances and stuff and the whole, like, you know, it's, it's very mainstream and commonplace. Now I'm not breaking any news, but we're starting to see how much of this behavior is based on the white replacement theory. And, uh, but that said, I think they're, I think the bulk of the people to get wrapped up into this are just looking for identity and looking for acceptance and they're looking for community. And so when you walk into the, the spectrum of the militia, you're walking into their meeting yeah, I think by and large, they're they're fine with it. Now, there are definitely characters in there who would like to say something, but they won't because it's at the time of the movie when we shot it was 2018, which even at that time, uh, people were still kind of sort of scared about showing their uh, racial biases, um, whereas now, you know, every, every there's day, a select there's really a select person. And and you actually portrayed again portrayed that move, person in the movie as well that really will let you know how they feel on that tip and it really feels that way right yes. and there's a huge difference between the Archie Bunker esque character and a full blown like militia man racist guy that's like what do you say what are you doing with this n word chick you know yeah um, yeah. And 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 Duncan's answer is so perfect. She's my friend, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, he's he's so confused by it. He's like, "What are you talking?" I mean, she's my friend. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Why am I hanging out with her? Well, she's my friend. And, yeah. You know that I, I I do. It's such a that's a hard scene for me to watch because I'm also like aware that I wrote that and directed it, and that actor didn't want to say those words. And I was like, I, I I get I get what you're saying, man, but it's like. That is the point. And, and so to bring it back. It your definitely question rolled earlier, off the tongue so eloquently, though. Oh, he's a great actor. Uh, <laughs> that's another guy. That, that's, uh, yes. Uh, he, he, that's another guy that I would like. If, if I could cast him in every movie I ever make from here on out, I would do so. He's he's incredible. Uh, old Steve. But like um, to, to your question earlier is like, was Karen intentionally cast as African-American? It's like, of course, because that line was in the script, mm. you know, and all of those lines about race were in the script. And so, yeah, it was very intentional because that was another big part of the movie that I was trying to kind of explore was how much these characters uh, are, are just kind of victims of kind of like latent, ripples of, of American racism still being very much alive. And uh, I remember like I had an acting teacher who told me I had like no business telling the story of a black woman, you know, and it's, it's, and, and, you know, we had festivals like top tier festivals telling us that 
this movie's unbelievable because black people aren't conspiracy theory theorists, you know, and, you know, you just kind of shake your head because it's like, not only do, do we live in a world where Candace Owens exists, <laughs> but like, you know, I shit you not, I, a week before the movie was released, I ran into this uh, woman at a bar who sat down with us and, you know, and, and she's, she's black and she's, she's talking to me and we're having a cigarette together. And she's like, well, what do you, what do you do? And, and I said, I, I work in film and TV and stuff. And she's like, really? And I was like, I was like, I, I have a little history in that myself, but I won't get into it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Whatever. And we're talking, talking. And eventually a friend of mine is like, yeah, John has a movie coming out next week. It's called the Pizzagate Massacre. You should check it out. And all of a sudden her eyes just go wide and she's like, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what it is that I did in film and television. And apparently she, she goes on to then tell us virtually the story of Karen Black. No. Yes. <laughs> she was, she was this like would be journalist who wanted to be involved in like important journalists. Uh, she journalist breaking news. Pursuits. Yeah and got wrapped up in the Alex Jones sphere. And she told us this whole story about how she met uh, the night of the election in 2016. She was there at the offices and they were all celebrating and she met Roger Stone and and how weird it all was. And eventually she ended up like breaking and she, she, you know, has since been like in hiding because the Alex Jones folks are kind of like threatening her and trying to make her life a living hell because she's having to now like be a part of legal proceedings to kind of like say what happened while she was there and she is almost this karen black character you know so all that to say is that you know it's it's yeah it's it's kind of a spicy swing for a guy like me to like write a story like this but i think it's all coming from a place of reality and, and truth and my personal truth and what i what i thought that i was seeing in 2018 which i think uh panned out pretty accurately you know, it's it's so much about uh, race. I, I don't think that it's a coincidence that when January 6th happens, you have these images of men uh, replacing American flags with Trump flags while also carrying Confederate flags. You know, it's like you can't really <laughs> dice that up. Which, which, which is a there's a great there's so there's a great scene. There's a great scene in the movie yeah. where um, and, and this goes back to the whole the character's development. And I think what people may assume is going to happen, I don't want to spoil too much because I see a lot of people talk about they wouldn't watch the movie. But there's a scene where uh, this reporter, Karen Black, is videotaping Duncan's car. She she needs someone to go with her to find out if this is real. There's children being held in a basement. And they're being molested by lizard people. So she goes to the one place where people would believe this nonsense, a militia meeting. She goes, I need someone with military training. You guys have military training. She kind of finds the best one out of the lot. Um, it's a draw between your care. You play the bungling militia man. Chef's kiss to the bungling side. And the, with the name Cy Thorn, I was like, I'm sitting here trying to make notes. I'm like, I did I kind of want to ask him how he got the, that name. Just made me laugh out loud, but pretty we'll stupid say. name, right? <laughs> I can, I can tell you where. Side thorn. <laughs> yeah. 
but that's based, that's based on a, a true story when the Sutherland Springs sh shooting happened here in Texas uh, there were these militia this militia couple that showed up and they, they wanted to be the first on the scene to tell everybody that it was all crisis actors and that it was fake gotcha and it was this man who would only refer to himself as Sidethorn and who later was arrested in Austin for like on weapons charges because he had like a bunch his house was filled with illegal weapons I, I had a friend who was renting a back house from him. And of course, all these people have like money, which I think is such a strange angle to this story is that like so many of the people that were there at January 6th and so many of these people that pop up, that are all loaded up with gear. Yeah. You wouldn't know it because we're not supposed to know stuff about military gear. But when you look at it, it's like it's like that dude's wearing about three thousand dollars worth of like military swag. And so these people are always like well, like wealthy and they're just bored and they want to be a part of something. Anyway, he was this militia guy who thought he was a badass and he was all strapped up and he only referred to himself as Sidethorn. And, you know, I uh, when I was writing the movie, I was like watching a bunch of like horror film docs and I was watching stuff about Karen Black. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to name my character Karen Black. And then while I'm writing it, the Sutherland Spring things happen and I'm like. I'm going to name this character Sidethorn because you know? <laughs> so, he's a real piece of shit and just a, a, a fake, you know, thin skinned loser. Which so is, which is also kind of, it's also kind of part of the thing too, right? Like everybody wants to get famous yeah, in their own way. Yeah. Put, get their name on the map. And I think that's a kind of a political moment that we're in. We were speaking off air a little bit about something I'm working on. Um, yeah. talking about you know living in a moment of kayfabe um, for the video essay viewers that are listening or, or watching the show I finally finished all hour and a half of my voiceover for this um, so now we're in the final step hopefully we'll get it done in, in our for our finish date excited um, to listen to that man uh, I'm gonna see the trailer Please. The trailer. And Please. for those of you that joined us on movie night, you guys got to see the trailer after movie night. We, we play the trailer. We're still working on a day to premiere it. Uh, we're going to premiere the trailer. But anyway. Um, so there's this scene I wanted to. So two things I want to bring up. So there's this scene where Karen Black is videotaping the the car, right? The, the van of Duncan, our character. And. She's walking around it and she wants to see what's in the, the back cab and she can't get in it because he's got a, a double lock on it, which I know you saw that from all the bands you worked with. <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember the year that that was a thing where people were like, you got to get this double lock. So she yep. can't get in and uh, and she looks down and her eyes get all big. And then the Duncan character walks up because he's like, don't you videotape my van. And uh, and he gets there and he goes, I bet you think I'm a racist because of this. And she looks, she's like, yes, because <laughs> she sees a Confederate flag license plate. And uh, he's like, this doesn't mean and they have the, the they have this stereotypical conversation. But I think you did it in a pretty smart, funny way that I didn't see it going mm. uh, where. He's like, well, she goes, well, what? She goes, this is this is racist. He goes, no, it's not. And she's like, well, what does it mean to you? He's like, heritage. 
And then she kind of goes off and cuts to the next scene, and he just has to admit that she's right. Yes. <laughs> you're right. You're right. They're fine. You win. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, and and then the whole thing about uh, well, can't you just replace it with the front one? It came with a two pack. Because <laughs> the front one's a Confederate flag too. The front one's a Confederate flag too. Yeah, that that the two pack line that the, it came in a two pack, and then the other line about the cardboard were improv from the actor Tynus. So, oh, he improv those lines. Yeah, yeah, because that yeah. I mean, that guy again, like talking about the, the the acting in this movie, it's just like the, the whole movie was written for him when I when I met him because he's just such a phenomenal presence, mm-hmm. and so he he was so close to the script and was working with us throughout pre production, so he was just like spitting gold constantly like nailed that. that role because you know yeah. as you're talking about the kind of the petty bourgeois um uh faction of the january 6th slash militia people yeah um i mean you gotta have a couple bucks to hold up the way those cats hold up yep and build your off the grid lifestyle yep um this ain't Charlie Manson at the ranch. Right. Right. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's very much like it's cosplay and cosplay is not cheap. No. And you, and you kind of make that known when, when your character side Thorn busts Duncan out for saying that he's rich Yeah, because he, he's David Koresh's <laughs> 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 The son of David Koresh. Who, yeah, was given a huge settlement from the state of Texas for like what happened to him because he's like the bastard son of David Crash. Because like that was like a thing that you know mm-hmm. that was one of the elements that tipped off that that got the ATF and the FBI involved with uh, the Branch Davidian was that there were rumors of like uh, not Child only uh, yeah and like 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 it was it, it was like so many cults kind of devolve into it turns into this like sex cult thing. And David Koresh had like many wives. And so the story basically says like, well, what if one of those wives was impregnated by David and he and those said woman were killed in the fire, but the baby survived, you know, Mm -hmm. and that that's kind of who Duncan is, is he's this like product of the branch Davidian, you know, the, um, in in a way like the, the the fever dream the fantasy version you know and and as you watch the movie you you quickly realize like oh this is not trying to be historically accurate to Pizzagate and it's also tying in so many other conspiracy theories because again to kind of like speak to what I think is going on it's just this fever dream and this these like layers upon layers upon layers of John Wayne movies and like mm. you know they're all wrapped up mm. in some like living children's book you know uh like 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 uh aesop's fables or something or kind of like the what's the guy who wrote the uh like Grimm's fairy tales the the, the grim the grim uh yeah the grim there's a reason why those movies can be turned into horror films so easily um and i think that's so much of what conspiracy theories are in this country it's just they're they're kind of poorly written adult uh fairy tales and for those of you that are interested in the origins of QAnon, uh, the last show I did in studio when I was still in West Oakland, um, I did with Robbie Martin, 
Um, you guys may know him. I believe Robbie has a show still. I'm not sure, but he's Abby Martin's uh, brother. Um, he is a Bay Area native like myself, and he came on and we had a, about a two-hour discussion about uh, conspiracy theories and, and their origins. And Robbie had done a, about a four-hour history uh, on the history of QAnon and got into Pizzagate. We got into Satanic Panic, yep. which I think this kind of touches on too. That's why I think I, I'm a real big believer that history is important. Um, yeah. Because when you think about things like what happened with Pizzagate, to me, it's no different than the McMartin trial. If people are familiar right. with the McMartin trial, it lasted yep. uh, like 10 years in, in right not far from me in San Diego, um, yep. where I am now. Um, so yeah, you can go back and listen. I think that's episode like 50, and it's back when I was still doing an audio-only podcast. Me and Robbie Martin uh, had a real fun uh, conversation about yeah. Pizzagate, and it was like, uh, and we're both wearing masks, so if you listen to it, it probably sound far away. <laughs> uh, but I, I think I think your movie also too uh, hits on, and we're, there's no champagne room tonight, guys. So we're just gonna go over. This is gonna be a, a free show. <laughs> Um, so thank you once again, John, for for hanging out with me uh, for the evening. My pleasure. Um, there's a there's a moment, and I'm not, I don't want to give up the end of the movie. And as as many people have been commenting that they want to watch the movie, I kind of wanted. I can't ask some of the other questions that I had set aside to ask. But one of the things that really um, got me is the. It felt like every character wanted to make their mark. Maybe not so much the Duncan character, but your character is trying to make a mark. Mm -hmm. The reporter, Karen Black, is trying to make her mark. And even the Alex Jones character is trying to make uh, uh, their mark. And they'll do anything to get there. Mm-hmm. Um which is which is why I find the moment that we're in so fascinating because, excuse me, I think these attempts are so transparent. Mm-hmm. And yes. um, even though these attempts are so transparent, uh, these people still have sway with the public, and I think a lot of that has to do with the way we consume media. We consume media almost like we consume uh, sporting events. Mm-hmm. This is my team. F you if you're not on my team. And you can kind of put your fingers in your ears, if you will, and and uh, and try not to hear anything anyone says that's not on your team. Mm-hmm. And the ending scene where the Alex Jones character with a gun to their head won't break kayfabe to me speaks volumes again to the moment that we're in right now because breaking kayfabe <laughs> is detrimental yeah it's worse than death your career it, it is worse than death you yeah. die on the hill of the lie alec jones just got sued for a gajabillion billion dollars the gun company was a Remington got sued for a gajabillion dollars over one of those school shootings. Yep. And he still will die on the hill of lizard people smelling like sulfur 
crisis actors. It's fascinating because you don't want to lose that follower base. Right. That made him a millionaire. Yeah. Still. Yes. Yeah. It's pretty bizarre. It's like when you, yeah, when you, when you kind of stick to your guns like that, it's, it, it's, and I think a lot of Trump supporters w- would, would tell you this too. It's like, it's not that they like the guy. It's, it's that they, they just want to say fuck you to the other side and they want to burn it down. And so it like, doesn't matter how many smoking guns are found or, or like scrutinized on the news. You know, it just breaks my heart because there you have these career professionals who are like spending day and night trying to dig out what the, these people like the Trump family that, you know, like what Letitia, uh, is it Letitia James or whatever the, the attorney general in New York, who's like been yes. trying to go after yes. him forever. Yes. And like, you know, she's working her ass off to try to figure this out. And it's so sad that the people who need to be uh, woken up by this, they don't care. They don't care that there's a smoking gun. And it's because it's they're not trying to be convinced that Trump is like not who he says he is. I think they just have so much hate and they need to put it somewhere. Uh, they, they can't accept the reality that like, no, we just live in a chaotic world and there is no easy answers. And it, it's it just it scratches an itch for them that they can't do on their own. And and mm-hmm. the thing that they don't know is that like, we feel that same way, you know, everybody feels like they, they, they're out of control or that their voice is marginalized or that um, they're being wronged somehow, you know, and it's, it's this weird kind of, you're on, on either one side of the fence or the other where you're like, you know, uh, you, you, you either accept the chaos or you don't. And I think these people who can't accept chaos, they need conspiracy theories to create a loop uh, for themselves to exist in. And then they need figures like a Donald Trump to just be like, no, fuck you. I'm going to burn it all down, you know, because that's oh, the, yeah. what's the alternative. Oh, yeah. And here, here's a great comment. Thank you, JB. We Also known as good JB. Herschel Walker, another great example, libs. Like MR acting like they just dunked on him and he just had a record day of fundraising after yeah. the news broke. Um, yeah. Herschel Walker is another one of those characters where you look at him and you go, this is foolish and silly. And how can anyone take this man seriously? But it's also downplaying the fact that he was kind of a bit of a sports legend and hero in Georgia. Still to this day, I mean, one thing the last time he took a snap for the Bulldogs was like 1982, but that's Heisman Trophy winning, running back, Herschel Walker, kind of saying what certain people want to hear. Yeah. And you just can't be the other guy, right? That's kind of what it boils down to. Just don't be the other guy. Like I was, uh, personality is so huge and it's almost like we forget our political history and these moments of quote unquote dunking on people, which also, and I think it also plays into this idea of political theater, right? Uh, Me and my friend Ben Burgess had a great talk. We we did our, uh, he was down here in Mexico with me and we did a show on the terrace where he was actually writing something at the time for Jacobin magazine 
And one of the things he was talking about was there was this moment where this young person had made a comment to Ben Shapiro at a public thing and then made a joke about his wife. And, and then it was like a, a, a slow clap moment for, for certain people. And it's like, what do you think these people like Shapiro then do with that footage? They don't take that as an L. That's why he feels very comfortable to to have this uh, personal appearance in this setting because he knows you're going to come up with the own Shapiro comment. You're going to say something. Um, certain media is going to clip it. They're going to joke about it. But he's going to go take that and go, look at these people. They're not serious people. If they were serious people, they wouldn't make these kind of jokes. I don't make these kind of jokes. And I'm not saying this to say that Ben Shapiro is a person that should be respected. I'm not a fan of him. Oh, you're not? No. (laughs) There's just something about, you know, his silly ass politics that rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, don't say (laughs) it. But I don't take my time because I don't think there's value. Me, This is just me personally. Yeah. This is just me personally. I don't find value in making fun of him. Right. And I don't think that grows a left. It might grow an audience. But, uh, you know, I don't think that helps the movement, if you will. No. Um, of, of building out a, a more informed left if I'm just making fun of you know, silly men. Correct. And like the movie kind of plays with that, right? I mean, like, again, not to give anything away, but it's like, there are aspects of the movie that sort of speak to that, that it's like, yeah, you, like you may think that this, these people or this, this particular individual just got like dunked on and it's like, nope, they just got like 10 times bigger because of that. Yes. You know? Yes. And that's, you know, that, that was another like bizarre thing to watch happen with Pizzagate where it's like, this is awful. I can't believe somebody's going to do something about this. Right. And it's like, no, nobody does anything about it. And then uh, Alex Jones goes on to amass a like untold amount of uh, wealth that like, I'm, I'm so glad to see what's happening with the Sandy hook trials, but you would be a fool to think that he's being like bankrupt, you know, like when you're making, you know, there was a, they reported on it recently that he was making a little over $800,000 a day uh, for, for like during the Trump, like for like large portions of the Trump presidency. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you start to do that math, uh, 40, what is it? I think it was like 40, 49 or 50, something like $50 million is so far what he's been dinged for the Sandy Hook business. And it's like, it's kind of a drop in the bucket from a certain point of view. Glad that those families are getting a little bit of scratch to, uh, you know, for their effort. I'm, I'm sure it doesn't make them feel much better and it certainly doesn't bring their children back. But like, uh, yeah, it's like the, the, the amount of money that these people make off of their supposed gaffes or their supposed, you know, face plants. It's, it's pretty. And, and, that's, and again, I think that's what your movie kind of speaks to this moment that we're in where, um, tragedy is just fodder yeah like and 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 that's i i kind of feel like that's where the disaffected people that shoot up schools and shoot up office buildings like you at some point you realize like you're just fodder yeah 
to feel so invisible. This is the only way I can be seen. And then personality X that I follow will talk about me in perpetuity, you know, forever. Yeah. Um, and almost like a martyr complex in some kind of sick way. Yeah. Um, and these people, everybody waits for it. Everybody, everybody waits for it because mm-hmm. the best thing to happen for even the world that I'm in right now is Donald Trump was, I think the moment, I think when those people got off Twitter for the people that view shows like this, it is a little harder to get attached to people that you don't see trending all the time. Mm-hmm. But that mm-hmm. also speaks to the fact that things have to be trending all the time for people to care about them. Mm-hmm. We did a show on abortion probably about six, six or eight months before the ruling came down. I wouldn't say predicting that ruling, but sure. kind of as a warning um, that these things are coming because of the way we view abortion is sacrosanct. And it's not really what people think it is. That show yeah. got hardly any views. Wasn't in the news. If it's not if it's not trending, if it's not popular, why would I why would I care? Right? Exactly. Um so you know, we're all victims of this. And we all participate in it. And it's a constant fight, even on this show for us not to cover certain things because we want to cover Iran. We want to cover Brazil, you know, a, (laughs) we have little scholars on the show of that region, but are we going to sacrifice another show for that, that we feel is equally as important? Probably not. Right. And, and that's, that was so, I mean, to two points on that. It's like, I feel like that was an avenue of empathy for me when I saw what was happening. I mean, it's one thing that I like, I grew up around these people and I grew up around kind of like militant uh, communities. And so I, I have an understanding there, but also like my own pursuits of trying to be famous or trying to be <laughs> like big in the arts. I can like see the looks on these people's faces and I can see the way they represent themselves. And I see myself and I see that desperation and I can, I can, I just, I can see it from a mile away. It's like, these people just want to be seen just like me. Mm -hmm. These people have daddy issues just like me. These people, (laughs) you know, like they're not, they they weren't loved enough, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's really sad and and fortunately presents a, a room, room for empathy, but it also, it's like, I think the horse is out of the barn type of deal. I think it's too late, um, not to be too defeatist, but it's just there's too much um, incentive to be seeking fame. I think that's what so much of social media is for, is just vehicles for people to think they can get famous. And it's just, you know, like th- this really weird obsession we have with celebrity. And like even you just talking about martyrdom earlier, it's like, how much does that word really mean to our society in, in regard to like being a Christian society or at least uh, built off of one in, in the sense that like Jesus is sort of this like first uh, celebrity, you know, that everybody just literally worships and they want to be like him and they want to, they want to, you know, they want to emulate him and then slowly, but surely they want to take over him and they want to be mm-hmm. called the next Jesus, which mm-hmm. you know, what you see with Trump figures. 
where they, they think that they are like here through divinity and here through like, you know, like, like guided by some greater force. And it's, it, it's this really sad uh, defeatist uh, pursuit to, to, to chase fame, I think, and celebrity because it just goes nowhere. It's nothing. It's all well, just I mean, in mind. I was, I was scrolling through, excuse me, um, was it Instagram? Right. One of them. Yeah. Keeping up with old friends, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if you guys notice this kind of stuff too. I was like, everything's an ad. Mm-hmm. Everything was an ad, and not just an ad. It was a placed ad by a quote-unquote influencer. And I think the word influencer needs to be thrown out the window at this point now because I don't necessarily even believe that those people are influencers as much as they are pitchmen. Mm-hmm. They're just pitched like you're just the as seen on TV guy. Yeah. And and I was talking to a friend. I was like, I remember when TV went off the air, and it was snow. Remember that. I don't know if how, uh-huh. how old you're. I'm, I'm 45. And, I remember. And then, and, then, and then I remember the infomercial. Yep. And as we ourselves now are product, and, and the attention economy is something that you know everyone's fighting for. Yep. And have and I'm having done BS low level work in advertising research firms <laughs> to see how that stuff really works from the inside um this moment of everything being an ad and everyone wanting to be the pitch man the last time i worked at coachella all the people that stayed in the house with me that were working with me um because it was just a side job for for everyone you know it was contract work for me um they were all aspiring influencers I remember there was one day there was just, everyone was like, oh, are you going to the influencer conference? And everyone just they, they all ran in the kitchen and they're exchanging this information to get to the influencer conference. And it it's fascinating because in this moment. What can you take seriously when everything has to be sold? That means it has to be presented to you in a way that elicits a response. Yes, we can't have a nuanced discussion about Iran. Um, We can't have a nuanced discussion about negative dialectics of people like Fanon, which I think are so important in this moment that we're in right now, especially when you look at places like Iran. Yeah. Um, Because people need that emotional trigger of where's the good guy Show me the bad guy, and I got to find my team I'm going to root for. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really frightening to me. It's been depressing the bejesus out of me. Um, I'm enjoying your movie, and then it ends, and it, <laughs> and it kind of ends on that note. Yeah. <laughs> of like, you may have thought that this was a virtuous person, but oh, no, no. Right. They had a goal. You know, maybe it's living in Austin, which is, you know, L.A. light. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm sure you know influencer central. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, all jokes aside, I'm going to stop messing with because David Griscom is going to you know, give me horrible shit when I see him in in L.A. Um, <laughs> in closing, I enjoyed your film. Um, I want people to watch your film. What do you want people to take away from your movie? I mean, for me, a lot of it is is uh, empathy because I think that beyond this the specifics of the politics or the specifics of the characters or the events or how the script rolls out it's a big concern of mine is this like really rapid decline of empathy and humility in this uh uh in the world really you know um and uh, you know, it would have been very easy for me to make a movie that just completely lampoons the right. Um, I, and it would have been even easier and probably way more financially uh, beneficial for me to make something that was pro-right uh, and, and, and against the left, which I find so fascinating that so many of these uh, trolls that kind of come after me online about the movie, they think that I'm like funded by the DNC or they think that I'm like in cahoots with the Democrats. And it's like, you people don't realize that like, I could have easily just made some Dinesh D'Souza kind of like propaganda movie. And I would probably be like fairly wealthy at this point, had I made a movie like that. Because uh, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, those are the people that are like willing to give their money over to something stupid. And uh (laughs) <laughs> you know, that was not, you know, of course I want to make money off this movie because I need to make my money back, but like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and be able to make more movies. Um, but like, no, the point was to kind of like, I'm a big fan of Clint Eastwood's filmmaking. And although I really uh, do not align with him politically, I think there is something really masterful that he's doing that history will look back on very kindly insofar as like so much of his kind of right wing leaning sort of propaganda elements in his movies, they are always targeted at the right audience. And Mm -hmm. and the best example is American Sniper, not a perfect movie by any means. I'm not here to like talk about like how great American Sniper is, but I think the masterstroke of that movie is that I'm going to make a movie that tells you that we're going to glorify the most badass soldier in U.S. history, which is mostly predicated on lies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nonetheless, um, Chris Kyle is considered this like, you know, the goat yeah. of the military. And what that movie is about is about showing Chris Kyle come to terms with the fact that he has PTSD and he takes action and it turns into a like PSA about PTSD. And so the people who are going to see that movie are all these like tatted up roid raging kind of angry, like punisher skulls and like Mm -hmm. shit like that. And they're like, fuck yeah, Chris Kyle. And then they go see this movie and they're like, all right. You know, I I remember like sitting in that theater with like military people and, and, and they were like taking it to heart and, and sort of like taking a look at themselves. 
And so that was kind of the point of this movie was like, I want to make a movie where a bunch of left-wing people, including myself, would go into the movie thinking like, cool, we're going to get to like feel some like catharsis and, and, and have our beliefs affirmed. And then as you watch the movie, you're like, but wait a second, I, I don't want anything bad to happen to this guy. He's like, he's, he does have a heart and like, he's just confused. And, and so the, hopefully it kind of like, it's for the left, but it's also to kind of talk to the left because, and to also show, hopefully show some people on the right that like, A, we see you, like, don't worry. And then B, uh, maybe they'll learn something from it. I doubt it. Um, maybe they'll see something in, in themselves. Uh, I, I had one person who I won't name who, while I was making the movie, was very vocal about how he thought I was wrong and thought that, uh, he, you know, he's a Trump supporter and how he thought that, like, you know, uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm getting into trouble and that I'm gonna see any any day now I'm gonna see how stupid I was to make this movie and that like I should be careful there's people coming after me and sure enough that was the first person that called me the night that the movie premiered and that the the night that the movie came out and people could finally see it and he was like yeah that was actually good I liked that and that was a really fair interpretation and I think that there's a lot of reality to it. And, and his tune just totally changed. Mm -hmm. And it felt, and, and like, not that I'm anticipating anybody from the right to like learn anything. Like I said, the intent is more to show that like, don't forget these people are, are human beings. They're not, uh, they're not monsters, even though they do monstrous things and they allow themselves to, uh, to put on monstrous masks. They are still humans underneath it all. And, and uh, you know, that there's maybe something there to cultivate or to be mindful of as we hurdle closer and closer to like the edge of the cliff. Uh, you know, I mean, we're already firmly into this new era of political violence. And I, I foresee us seeing some pretty ugly January 6th-esque moments over the coming years. But I hope it doesn't uh, excel beyond that. You know, I think I, I hope that something breaks, some fever breaks. Uh, I don't know if I'm hopeful, though, which is unfortunate, but that's just my cross to bear. Well, uh, look, I think the January 6th trials have shown that um, at this point, if anything like that was to even have a hint of a sniff of a whiff that uh, the the state will open fire. <laughs> there will be no olaying of the gates. It will just be all right. We know how this last one turned out, right? And you're gonna have you're you're gonna have something very actually. You know what's what's interesting is um, one of the guys on the show and I probably almost a year ago had a conversation of something about this where he felt and and I agree with him wholeheartedly that we're moving in a direction like some of the more authoritarian uh, regimes that you see where you know any kind of dissent is crushed right away. Yeah, I think that's one of the things you're going to get from, from January 6th. You're going to get to the crushing of dissent right away. I mean, that was one of the first things that happened, right? There was uh, this small black socialist sect that, you know, was no threat to anyone that, you know, all gets snatched up real quick. Yeah. You know, to show that we're not fooling around. And now you have the thing January 6th to point to, like, because yeah. we don't want another January 6th, you know, 
So yeah. someone says Trump is the emperor from Warhammer 40K. And that's funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew that reference. <laughs> uh, John, thank you for hanging out with me this evening. I really appreciate uh, everything that you do. If you guys haven't seen it, please watch the Pizzagate Massacre on Amazon. And I believe it's on Tubi as well. Yeah, it's free on Prime. It's free on Tubi right now. Um, if I you have paid a Voodoo membership, thank um, you, thank this, you. This uh, this interview cost me nine ninety nine, <laughs> and I blame Mexico for that. <laughs> Mexico was like, you ain't watching this shit for free. Yeah, because you're you're in Baja, right? I'm in Baja. Or thereabouts? No, I'm in Baja. Oh, oh okay. whereabouts? I'm in Rosarito. Okay, cool, cool. Somewhere in Rosarito. Somewhere, yeah. I didn't want to totally. Nobody's gonna find you. Can't come. Even if I told you where I was, you guys couldn't find it. You're underground. I'm in a bum. Yeah, me and uh, Sarah Connor over here, <laughs> training for the revolution. No, I, I appreciate you having me on the show. It means the world that you saw it. I I love that people are discovering it now outside of the advertising window because it's like now it's getting to really experience its organic life and. Mm. I think it has, uh, I think it has legs. I think it, I think it's got some like culty vibes to it. And, you know, I always say it's not Citizen Kane, but it's, um, it is out to entertain. So I don't think it's a short movie. It moves fast. It does. Um, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty inoffensive from a certain point of view. The action so, is great, man. The action's good. Yeah, the action is great, man. Uh, I'm proud Strong. of how that turned out. Strong McCallum says, my grandmother calls TIR revolution now. I don't know how I feel about that, but I guess I'm the black Amy Goodman. Just what it is to Strom's grandma, I'm Amy Goodman. I'm Amy so, Goodman. <laughs> I wish I could yell out everybody's name as fast as Amy Goodman. Yeah, uh, you got you got to get that really funky jazz intro. <laughs> that that jazz intro that just says, "I got some Ford Foundation liberal dollars here." That's what that jazz intro says. <laughs> that jazz intro says, "I know Ava DuVernay." It's so loud and so obnoxious. <laughs> what the hell is going on? <laughs> that's what that's what that jazz intro says. Like I get your intro, like, like yes. Like, that all makes sense, and the visuals all make sense. But then, whenever I hear that "Democracy Now" intro, it's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to hang out with us. And as we're leaving, my four year old son is calling from Oakland. Son, oh. I'm on air. You want to say hi to the people? Here, say hi to the people. Hi, buddy. How are you? They said, how are you? What do you say? Good. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Playing. What are you playing? A taco truck. Okay, well, hold on. Playing with your truck. Hold on. Don't hang up, Phoenix, okay? Okay. John, thank you very much. Everybody, thank you for hanging out with me. I'm going to go do dad stuff. Good. And on that note, we are...